And I would invite you this morning to turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. Uh, This morning you're going to hear a sermon about why we should all love the Word of God. And having said that, let me promise you something. This is not going to be a guilt trip. It's not going to be a harangue. Kids, do you know what a harangue is? A harangue is a long, angry, critical speech. If someone's ever chewed you out for three, five, ten minutes, left your ears ringing with their loud anger and your frustrated guilt, that's a harangue. That's not what's happening this morning. Because our passage isn't doing it this morning. Our passage, which is about why we should all love God's word, isn't a loud, angry guilt trip. It's a celebration of the life that God gives us through the Bible. And in a world that seems to be so often life-draining, it's a prayer for God to give us more of Jesus' joyful life by giving us more of the Bible. And my goal this morning is that we leave here delighting in the Bible, celebrating the life that Jesus gives us in the Bible, and longing for more of the Bible in our lives. So let's read Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112. I'll pray for us, and then uh, we'll join the psalmist as he reflects on why God's word is the joy of his heart. Psalm 119, starting in verse 105. This is God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually because I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that you've given us an opportunity to reflect on why your word is and ought to be the joy of our heart and the way in which it gives us life by giving us Christ. Father, we pray that your spirit who inspired this word, that he would now uh, be at work in us to give us minds to understand, ears to hear, and hearts to believe it, so that we might rejoice in the great gift you've given to us through it. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. I was walking from the guest house in Nkoma in Malawi to the Josephat Mwale Theological Institute where I was teaching a summer course on Greek and early church history. And as I was walking down the hill from the guest house into the town, uh, I saw just outside of town a group of about eight men way off in a field with a bunch of dogs carrying machetes. It was very clearly a hunting party, but like, what do you hunt with machetes? 
And as I stood watching, a student passed by, and I asked him what they were hunting, and he said, black mambas. And black mambas, kids, are one of the most poisonous snakes in the world. Why are they hunting black mambas? And he said, because they will chase people, they will bite them, and they will kill them. I'm going to try not to go into the Malawian accent, but it's hard. It's in my head. And I said, chase people? You mean chase children? He goes, no, children, men, they will chase them and they will kill them. But an, an adult can outrun a black mama, right? No, no, no. And if they bite you, unless you are near the door of the hospital, you will die. So that's why they are hunting them. Note it. Uh, we had made friends with some uh, Irish doctors who were working at the local UNICEF hospital in the town. They had invited us over to hang out one night. I was finishing up something, and I followed about five minutes behind my friends. I get about 200 yards down the hill from the guest house, and I realize for the very first time there are no street lights. There are no lights except for the outside light in the guest house behind me about 200 yards away and the moon and the stars it is completely dark completely dark now i couldn't see the path to our friend's house but i didn't really care about that because alone in the dark all i could think about was whether or not there was a black mamba around ready to chase me down and end my life so i turned around and i prayed to jesus i prayed to jesus a lot and i I'd like to say I walked. I ran back to the guest house. I got my flashlight. And now I could not only see the path, but I could see any snakes that happened to be nearby too. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, it helps us to remember that we put up street lights, we hang lighted signs, we use headlights in our cars, and we carry flashlights around with us because without light... We don't know where we're going. We can't see the path, and more importantly, I think, we are blind to the dangers that are around us. The psalmist uses this picture of the Bible being a light for our path because in the Bible, God frequently talks about our life together as a path that we walk on side by side. And that path has all kinds of dangers to us. There's the danger of losing sight of the path and wandering off and getting lost in the death of idolatry. There's the danger of stumbling because of some sin and falling and getting hurt. There's the danger of pulling people down with us as we fall. If you ever walked with somebody and you trip and you grab hold of them and they were not ready for that and now you're both on the ground, the Bible uses that image. There's also the danger of accidentally or intentionally, tripping other people and hurting them. There's even the danger of the end of conversation, which is where we stop talking to each other and stop listening to each other and we stop praying to God, which can cause our fellowship with each other to fray and then we find ourselves on different parts of the path, lonely, sad, angry, maybe bitter with each other, because our silence and our poor listening has made us strangers to each other. These are the dangers that you cannot outrun and that are unavoidable if you cannot see them. 
Now the Psalms know all about these dangers. The book of Psalms is divided into five parts that roughly trace the walk of Israel with God from the kingship of David to the exile to a restored, recreated new life with Jesus. Part three of the book of Psalms is the exile. Part four is the mediation where God comes in and and, uh, and makes a, a way for his people to return to him. Part five is really about repentance and restoration in their life with God. Psalm 119 is in book five. Now, you probably also know that Psalm 119 is not only the longest psalm in the Bible, which is why when I said Psalm 119 but didn't specify a verse, some of you weren't like, oh my goodness, it's going to take forever to read this thing. It's the longest psalm. It's also the longest chapter. Now, the whole of Psalm 119, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the whole Bible, is a reflection on the fact that the Word of God gives and restores life with Jesus. So when the psalmist talks about God's word being a lamp to his feet and a light to his path, he has in mind the very real consequences that have come from turning the light of the word of God off. Broken relationships, dishonesty, idolatry has run rampant, Anger, not joy and thanksgiving, was now the primary emotion of God's people. There's unforgiveness, there's harshness, there's injustice, there's dishonesty, there's oppression. In terms of the path of God, some of God's people have wandered off of it. Some have fallen down. Some have been pushing other people down. Very few have been walking in friendship and righteousness with Jesus and with Jesus' people. And that brought all the pain and all the hurt that you can imagine. But now Israel, God's people, are repenting. They're turning back to Jesus. They're coming back to the path. And here in our passage, the psalmist knows that the only way out of the wreckage and through the hidden dangers is to use the path that the Bible reveals. Well, why? Well, because the Bible shows us the way that Jesus, who is God himself, walked out of the wreckage and through the dangers of this fallen life. The Bible shows us the way that Jesus lives with both honesty and judicious prudence, meaning he knows the whole truth, but he uses it kindly, restoratively, lovingly. It shows us the way that Jesus lives in justice and mercy, which not only faces sin squarely, but opens the way of repentance and gives forgiveness openly and generously to the repentant. It shows us that Jesus restarts relationships that have been damaged. He takes the initiative. He begins it anew. He draws near to the broken. He doesn't shy away from hard emotions. He draws near to those who are experiencing troubled hearts and broken lives. And then the Bible not only shows us that Jesus does that, it also shows us how we can walk with him and join him as he does that. See, it shows us how Jesus restarts relationships that are damaged, draws near to the broken, and how we can join him as he does that today. The Bible shows us how Jesus walks in this world 
by his word and spirit and how we can walk with him as he brings the joy of his own life to a world that is lost in darkness. See, the whole point of this walk in Psalm 119 and in our passage is to return to the delight of God's own life. And that's why it's important to keep verses 105 and 106 together. The psalmist says, verse 105, 106, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. The psalmist dedicates his life to keeping God's righteous rules because God's rules or his commandments and precepts, examples, applications, all those different words are in the psalm, the whole Bible, is how God teaches us to walk with him in the joyful life of redemption and in righteousness and in love. It's how he teaches us where to place our individual feet so that we can avoid danger, regain our footing, and walk with each other and with Christ in the happiness of heaven's own grace. And because the Bible brings the joy of heaven's life here on earth, the psalmist in verses 107 to 109 prays for more of it. Let's read those verses again, verse 107. He says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. When the psalmist says he's severely afflicted, he means all the things that we just talked about. He's suffering from guilt and brokenness. He's lonely and all the rest of those things. He probably also has in mind the suffering that comes from his own lack of understanding. We've prayed prayers similar to this. Jesus, I just don't know what you want me to do here. Being confused about how to repair a relationship or being fearful that you can't move forward in repentance with somebody or with God, not knowing what Jesus wants you to do, that itself is a great affliction, as I think we all know. That's all included in the psalmist's confession, that he is greatly afflicted. And the psalmist's solution is to seek relief by praying for two things. He says, Lord, give me life according to your word. And he says, Lord, accept my free will offering of praise by teaching me your rules. <clears throat> Excuse me. Both prayers reveal the psalmist's conviction that the way out of my affliction is through your Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, I need your word to show me how to repent and how to forgive and how to trust. How to be honest and prudent, just and merciful. How to be compassionate and empathetic. How to look like Jesus. And most especially, I need your word to teach me how to be loyal to you so that I can joyfully walk with you side by side all the days of my life. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, I know that you have life. I know that you've given me life. Could you please give me more life by giving me more of your Bible? And I'm confident that's what he means because of what he says in verse 109. Now, our translation says, 
I hold my life in my hand, but I do not forget your law. Uh, the grammar here is tricky. Uh, I'm happy to talk with you about it after the service. This is a perfectly valid translation. If you assume that the psalmist affliction is the result of persecution, and our translators have it, that the psalmist is clinging to God's word, though God's word might cost him his life. They see the psalmist as being kind of like Daniel, who was forced to choose between God and death by lions, and Daniel chose God over lions. I don't think the psalmist is in anything like that position. I don't see anxiety about persecution in these verses or in, in really uh, in any of the kind of nearest verses. Again, given the larger context of the psalm and the emphasis on the life that God's word brings, I think the psalmist is focused on the blessings of God's word, which is why I would say the best translation of this verse is, I hold my life in my hand because I do not forget your law. The psalmist, you see, isn't in the position of Daniel choosing between God and death by lines. He's in our position where he's seen the way that God has brought life to our broken relationships through his word. He's seen the way that God has restored the joy of his salvation and his assurance of pardon in the Bible. He's tasted the power of Jesus' resurrection because he's been faithful to God's own word. He's confessed his sins. He's been given forgiveness. And yet, because sin remains, his afflictions don't totally go away. I have the word of God in my hands. I hold my life in my hands, but I am afflicted. There's still dangers on the path. I forgave my kids, but I just sinned against my spouse. I just tasted the beauty of a healed relationship, but then I spat a bitter word out against my neighbor. See, the psalmist here is praying a prayer that I bet most of us pray in some form daily. Jesus, I love your word. I hold your word in my hand, but I just don't hold enough of it in my heart yet. Please give me more of it. Give me more life. Give me more joy. I want the way you call me to live to become the way I live automatically because that life is just so good. I mean, isn't that a beautiful prayer? You could almost call this part the student's prayer. Oh, Lord, I have your teaching, but I don't have enough of it inside me yet. Please teach me more so that my life would have more and more of your joy and less and less of the affliction that comes from my own sin. And that love and longing for God's word is why the psalmist ends the way he does in verses 111 to 112. He says here, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I love that sentence. Your testimonies, which means the things you've taught me about yourself, the things you've taught me about me and about us as a church and the world, your testimonies, right? the things you've taught me and that you want to teach me about who you are and who we are in you and how to come to you, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I'm going to do something a little different here. I'm going to end this sermon on something of a more personal note. 
this sentence in Psalm 119 is the reason why we are thinking about this passage this morning. Every Monday through Friday after lunch, I dedicate time to pray. And I know people are like, ooh, the pastor's prayers, I bet they're long and super great and glory clouds. And look, I'm going to be honest with you, private prayer is not something I find easy to do. So I've learned to use tools to help me. And one of my favorite tools is the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, it was produced by the Anglican Church during the Reformation. It's part of our Reformed tradition. Anglicanism is part of the Reformed tradition. And what it is, is it's a collection, basically, of Bible passages and prayers strung together to create a conversation. And for months, Monday through Friday, at the very beginning of my prayer time, I've prayed Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112, back to Jesus. And every day, I pause when I say, your testimonies are the joy of my heart. And I pause not only because I'm checking to see if that's true today. Um, it's true more days than others. Let's be honest. That's the life of faith. But mostly I pause because the more I pray this verse, the more I think about this verse, the more I realize they are the joy of my heart. Jesus' word has changed my life. It brought me salvation. It's taught me who God is. It brought me here to you guys. It's given me instruction on how to live. And it continues to do that. When I, was a I think about when I was a child and I was afraid. The word of God brought me comfort. When I was in middle school and was trying to fit in, it taught me about God's acceptance of me and how to welcome other people who felt like me. When I was in college and worried about the future, it was at that particular point that God taught me about his sovereignty and how to live as somebody who's kept safely in the hands of Jesus. And now that I'm a father, God's word is a thing that I get to pass on, Lord willing, to my children. And since I'm a pastor, it's also the thing I hope I get to pass on to your kids and your grandkids and to you too. I mean, isn't that why the psalmist calls the word his heritage? What is a heritage? A heritage is the thing that you pass on after you've passed on. A heritage is the thing that your loved ones get to hold on to when they can no longer hold on to you. When our uh, kids were first born, I was terrified that I was going to die before I could teach them all the things I wanted to teach them. And I read a blog post about how you could write you know, kind of like write like a, a journal basically of all the things that you want to teach your kids so that way if you die, they can still know something of who you were and what you wanted them to know. And that can help you deal with that kind of anxiety. And I was like, great, I'm going to start doing that. So I started doing that. And the more I did, the more I realized I just want them to have the Bible. The things about me that are good are the gifts Jesus has given me through his word. The things I want them to know are the things Jesus has already said in his word. The word of God is our heritage forever. I love God's word. It's been life to me. I've seen it give life to others. And I hope you can say that it's given life to you. Now, now maybe you can't. Maybe, maybe you can't. It's because you've never tried arranging your life around the Bible. Well, like, Join us. 
Try. Come and see what happens if you arrange your life around Jesus and his word. I promise you that you'll not only start seeing the dangers that were lurking for you and chasing you down, which you didn't even know were there, but you'll also start experiencing the joy that comes from walking with God, who is the resurrection and the life, and you will find your life in Christ through repentance and faith. But if you're like me and you have already arranged your life around God's word and you just want to get it more arranged, more tightly connected to it, then I invite you to join me in telling Jesus that his commands, his word, his testimony, they are the joy of your heart. And join me in asking him to give you more of his word and praying that he would pass his word on to everyone whom you love. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that because we hold your word in our hands, we hold your life in our hands. What a gift to have the life of Christ in our grasp. But we want an even deeper experience of that life. So please, give us more of your Bible. Write it deeply on our hearts. Deliver us from our affliction by making us even more faithful to your precepts and commandments and testimonies. And and don't just do this for us, but please pass your word on to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Pass it on to our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors. Let your word be the heritage of our loved ones so that we can all experience the resurrection life of Jesus here today. And we ask this all in his name. Amen.